one other thing i i actually got my friend victor on clubhouse download the app if you have an iphone and thursdays at three o'clock we're doing the wrap-up show to ask all the questions to people like himself because you know you're going to hear things today and you're going to be like i want a little more information and maybe we can get him tomorrow while he's driving to jump in so get your clubhouse app off itunes off the apple store join clubhouse and find the true house stories wrap-up show three o'clock new york city time on thursdays now back to victor Arthur Baker takes him to Woodstock, New York. And what does he learn how to do? Becomes a professional box, a mover with boxes. He's good at this now. So well, yeah, and wow, you just opened up a whole a whole plethora of stuff. (laughs) New York. Here we go. You know, when you think about what we're talking about, how many things do we learn in this business unwillingly? Unwillingly. In other words, just it's just part of the path. Yeah. So I, when I think about it, Len, after all that I've had to learn, not by choice, just had to learn, I could probably be a travel agent. I could be a mover. I could be a janitor. <laughs> I could be a lawyer. <laughs> and, well, I could keep thinking. But these are all these are all skills that you learn along the way that goes. An accountant, you know, these are all skills that come with it. But not to get off the subject. No, you're right. Because if you didn't learn them, how the hell would you survive? That's right. That's exactly right. And you couldn't tell anybody who hired you. You didn't know how to do it. Because why? You're afraid of losing that job, maybe. Oh, wow. I'll explain wow. that to how, important, how the competition was so stiff. And- Mike, let me tell you something. There wasn't a line of 10 people at the door waiting to come in. There were lines of hundreds of people just waiting for you to slip up. That's it. Slip up right. once. God, that he would do something wrong and be fine. Definitely, definitely. Slip up once, you're gone, next guy's in. And that, you know, it was like exactly, exactly what you just said. So that really gets you to bring up your game, not 100%, 1,000%. I'm, I basically, well, I'll get to that. But I ended up, I ended up just pretty much moving in, moving in. But I'll get to that. So, and let me just start with this, you know. Um, the job that I started there was as an intern. Now, what is an intern? That means doing what I'm going to explain to you without getting paid just to be in the environment. Okay. And I'm just going to start this with a saying from Edison. I don't know if you know who Thomas Edison is. If you don't, the turntable is one thing that he invented. He was an inventor. Okay. And listen, listen, this is one thing he said. And I, and I wrote it down because, you know, it's really. Share it with us. It's meaningful. Right. He said, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. And that's the truth, man. That's the truth. And that that really, that puts it into a sentence of my mind frame. Um, And especially at that young age. Because what did I do the second and third day? I told you what I did the first day. Second and third day, made coffee, ran errands, swept, cleaned, mopped. You name it, I did it. Answered phones. Just the basic entry-level things that an intern could do is what I did. And um, I eventually, with time, I sort of worked up to a head intern where they were counting on me to train new new interns coming in. And all the time I'm doing it, I'm letting Arthur know uh, what I really want to do. It's editing, you know, and people that were editing for him at the time, again, was Gail Sky King, um, you know, Latin Rascals. They were, they were 
slightly before. I mentioned that phone call, but uh, so Junior Vasquez and Junior came there through Shep, as far as I can remember. Um, uh, Juan Cato and Aldo Marin, Benji Candelario. Uh, oh, there were there were others too, but. I'm just giving you an idea. Danny Crivet, of course. Yeah, these, I, were all, these were all people that were editing David for Morales was through there as well, if I remember. He correctly. was. He was. David Morales, yeah. actually. Yeah. I'm sorry. He was. He, he was. Actually, it was Dave DePino who brought David Morales to Shakedown, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, let's jump in ahead a little bit. But what I was going to... Go ahead. Sorry. What I was, was going to say is one... Uh, one intern that I trained that came in was was a, was a uh, friend named well he became a close friend named David Rosner, wow. and David um, you know rest in peace. Hang on. Yep. Hang on, because I know the story draws. We we're all friends with Ros. David Ros comes and Arthur hires him. Whoever hires him, he comes to you, Victor. What's the first thing you tell Ros? Because I always laugh. Yeah, always keep, <laughs> I said, Roz, if you want to keep this job, and again, this is a working for free, cleaning up job. If you want to keep this job, Roz, keep, always keep busy. If you don't have anything to do, find something to do, right? So one day, you know, he, he okay, that, that sunk in for sure. Because one day I come in, I walk in the edit room, and I saw him go in there to do work. I saw him go in there, but he wasn't in there. I'm looking around. I look at the window sill. Now, remember, we're, I don't know if it's the third floor. It, it's, it's high, though. It's, <laughs> I look out the window. He's actually outside the window, on outside the window, not inside, cleaning the outside of the window on the ledge, outside. <laughs> I said, Roz, well, that's really keeping busy. I mean, I didn't, I didn't expect you to go that far, Roz. But he said, yeah, man, you told me to keep busy if I have nothing to do. So I figured I'd watch the outside of the window, you know? So he, listen, and that got him far, man. Jumping ahead, he became, after Shakedown Close, he became the manager of, of Quad. That's right. And, um, you know, uh, uh, he, I mean, he has so many stories from Quad, and I wish he was here to tell them. He was but, the main guy at Quad. He did all the bookings at Quad. He did. Quad recording he did. was a powerhouse in Manhattan as far as major superstars, uh, John Morales, Eminem guys mixed out of quad. You had so many, uh, Frankie Knuckles, David Morales, everybody was using quad, plus all the major superstars from all the record labels. So he was handling everybody. He, he was. And there's, a, there's actually a video of him online where he talks about uh, when Tupac was shot in the lobby and how he helped him. And, you know, I think that went into a, um, I think that went into a documentary about Tupac where Raj talks about it. Um, but he would oversee all the sessions there and he was a great guy, but just, I'm just giving an example of what, where hard work got him. That's all. Cause he worked very hard and, and he, he eventually became manager. But anyway, getting back to, to, um, to how I, how I worked my way up there is, um, I just ended up being there all the time. You know, I was always available all the time to do whatever they needed me to do. So, and I was putting the bug in the area that, um, and I, when I say there, cause there was a studio manager, Elise Klein, who was, um, the sister of Tina, Tina Klein, Tina B, um, was the manager. And, um, basically one day, uh, they, they, they said, we have some clients that need an editor. We don't have an editor available. And their names were the Garvin brothers and they were clients of the studio. So I, I did an edit session for them, for their record. That was probably the first record I edited professionally. And well, Arthur took notice that I did that. 
And there was a day that he couldn't find an editor. He said, Gail isn't available or uh, Benji or um, you know, other people he was working with were not available. And I had been watching them all that time too. And Junior, I mean, I thank Junior, Danny, even, even um, Robert Clavillis was there frequently working on his projects. And they would all show me, they would all show me um, as, as an intern what editing was and walk me through it. And especially Junior really showed me how to save pieces of tape on the wall and write behind them. And um, it's really like a tailor. If you could imagine a tailor shop that's sewing pieces of material together, um, you know, if you get in, that kind of gives you an idea what the edit room looks like with tape all over. But anyway, Arthur said, I, I can't get an editor today. You want to give it a shot? I said, I'd love to. And that project was Will Downing uh, SOS. And that was the first one I edited for Arthur. And uh, he had been working with Will on Wally Jump Jr. and um, other projects uh, like, um, oh gosh, a lot of anonymous things or pseudonyms that Will was working under at the time. But anyway, I did that for Arthur. And after, Arthur liked it. He liked what I did. So then he dumped another one on me. Not dumped, but I just... No, he dumped it. <laughs> he just gave me one. Here's how that goes, everybody. Now you can't go home. what <laughs> right. I said? Right, right. You nailed going it. Going out tonight? You ain't going no. out. We're going out, right? right. Tell, them. Tell them, Victor. You right, right. Well, going out that night, right? What happened? Exactly. So from that point on, basically, uh, you're not going home. So I just basically I can't go home. Wait, well, no, I pretty much. It was 24 seven, 365 days a year work. There was no stopping. I basically he. He'd mix a tune, and what what was what did mixing consist of then? Okay, like you said, a room like a room like yours was the A room with an SSL. Right. I could send you pictures of that. It was like it was similar to your board. Yeah, he had a four thousand there, e, a e board, right? If I remember, you you, you rem I honestly don't remember the model number, but it's an SSL. What that? Yeah, he had forty forty eight G in there or something like that. E E with a G, whatever it was. I think it was yeah. Very similar to yours, then. But he so he would he would he would mix various versions, right? He'd do various versions and give me a good stack of tapes, you know, a stack of tapes. And he'd ask me to come up with one version from all the versions, right? With editing. So I'd have to take pieces from each version and you know, I'd I'd edit them all together, and in the end, the end result would be one version. So if it was a club mix, that's what it was. If, the, if he didn't want me, if he wanted me to do another version, a dub mix, then that's what it was. If he wanted an instrumental, then that's what it was. But he wouldn't give me these mixes completed. He would give me a number of takes. You know, I, today it's referred to as bounces. In other words, you know, he'd give me a number. He'd give me a number of takes and ask me to come up with one version out of all those takes. So the first thing I would do was listen down to all the takes, which would take sometimes some hours. Um, and I have a, just a pen, a pen and notepad and take notes on what each take was this way. So now when I'm starting, I sort of have a blank canvas. I have the paint and now I go to work. You follow? If you're, com if you're comparing it to art. What machine did he have you on? A quarter inch or half inch? He had, he, okay, so he had a half inch Otari. Uh -huh. um, and it would it was 30 ips okay and i could also go 15 ips and also it could go it could go seven and a half as well but we'd always record at 30 ips because that's the best speed to record at you're going to get the best quality that way um so yeah i mean he'd come in with he came in with the talking heads then he got quincy jones project which was quincy featuring uh, ray charles and shaka khan um he had he had blondie deborah harry you know she'd be up at the studio 
fairly often. And, um, oh, there was project after project that came through. He even worked on the Quincy uh, movie at the time. So all there were so many Quincy tapes in there. That was around the time of Secret Garden. That's moving ahead a little bit. But um, it was project after project, Len. Mm -hmm. And basically, there was, there was a spare room there that they just store stuff in, and there was Sonics on the floor. I would just sleep on Sonics when I could because he would leave and say, okay, yeah, get this done as quick as you can. I'll be back tomorrow. And he'd come back and hear it and then give me tips if he wanted. And yeah, so you get an idea. And the size of the room was very small. Now, while all this is happening, all the clients at Shakedown are seeing me work. You know, you mentioned David coming through. David Morales, you mentioned, well, I mentioned Dave DePino. And um, I said Junie was there. A lot, a lot of major labels there, too, coming through. Right. And, and, and so Lenny D, who was working down the street at Nile Rogers Studio, it was called Skyline. Skyline Studio was down the street. Right, Skyline. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yep, yep, yep. And so Lenny left Skyline and he came to work at Shakedown as well. And so Arthur knew both of us were from Brooklyn. And so he said, why don't you guys do some stuff as the Brooklyn Funk Essentials? He sort of gave us that name. And um, yeah, we started to do productions and remix under that name. And um, Lenny then took me over to Fourth Floor and New Groove, which was around the block. Um, that was on 30. Let me think now. Right. Shakedown was on 37th Street between 7th and 8th, I believe. Yes. And New Groove and 4th Floor was, I believe, on 38th Street between 5th and 6th. I don't know if I got this right, but I'm going from memory. Yeah, because it's on that side street, I remember. It was in that one building. Yeah, it was in right. the mm-hmm. district area. Yeah, I remember. Right. Right. Okay. Office. Yeah, I remember Judy was working out there. Judy Russell, may she rest in peace, another one. In which building? In that building. Oh, New Groove. New yeah, 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 you're right. For him at that time, she just got the she job. Was. She was what a great, what a great person she was. <laughs> so many people that we know are gone. It's crazy. I know. It's so sad. Gone from the business. Gone, gone from the earth. It's so sad. God rest her soul. It really is. But she, she actually, she was amazing. You know, she would A and R all the stuff, and it was Frank Mendez who owned New Groove at the time, and um, Judy was A and R. But Tommy was up at fourth floor, and uh, and and. Actually, the studio where a lot of the new groove and um, and fourth floor stuff was being done, and Tommy was the head engineer, so he'd be engineering most of those projects. He'd be engineering most of those projects. Um, even for the Burrell brothers, you know, they were doing a lot of stuff for new groove. And uh, anyway, I started to do stuff for new groove, and um, you know, I eventually ended up moving on from Shakedown and Shutdown. Uh, and Arthur moved on. He moved the studio out to Jersey. No, actually, he moved the studio a few blocks away to another place temporarily and then moved to Jersey City. And, you know, I had already started working with other labels. Uh, there was one named Vendetta. I don't know if you remember Larry Asgar. Sure. Yeah, that was one label. He, anyway, started working for many labels, and, um, yeah, I don't want to lose my train of thought. Um, so you go into but, the new groove, you get the Brooklyn Funk Essentials. Yeah. And that's where the production, I think, really begins, right? Right, right. Yeah, thank so you for thinking. Yeah, explain the production process for you. Because you're an editor yeah. now. You're now a, you're a professional editor. I haven't yeah. paid yet. I haven't heard you say you got paid, but you're an editor. Professional. Yeah, no, he, yeah, he did. He started He started paying me when I started editing. So, yeah. Thank you for get, keeping me focused, Len, because there's just so much that runs through your mind when we oh, talk yeah. about it. No, no, I'll keep you on it. Don't worry. We'll keep you on the Victor train. Yeah, no, thank you, brother. 
So yeah, so eventually with editing back back at Shakedown, Arthur would start bringing me into the into the studio, and he while he was mix mixing, he'd start asking me what pieces I'd like or, you know, to suggest pieces that I'd like to work with. Like for example, what do I mean by that? Well, Arthur, could you give me a piece with uh, just the drums and bass? You know, give me a good minute of just drums and bass. Okay, Vic, what other pieces do you want? Well, just give me a piece with the piano and vocal. And, um, you know, just those kind of combinations. I tell them combinations of different instruments together. So he'd give me those pieces so I could work with them and edit them together. So I'm asking him for pieces, and at the same time, I'm watching what he's doing. So it's, you know, on-the-job training. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. On-the-job training. And then Lenny's bringing his skills to it, too. What all he learned from Nile Rogers down at Skyline, and you know, we ended up produ- producing. We we ended up doing an album worth of experimental material, um, Lenny and I, that eventually came out ten years later. I don't know how and why it ended up where it ended up. I, I, that's still a mystery to me. But there were experimental productions, and you know, we tried all you know tried to do the best we could at the time. But you could hear it in there that they are experimental. It came out as Essential Funk from Brooklyn ten years after ten years or so after we did it about about that um and then you know we started remixing together and um yeah and that's jumping ahead again to when i said i started spending a lot of time at new groove and fourth floor and shakedown closed down and basically we started remixing and producing at shakedown and that moved over to new groove and fourth floor and um you know, some labels in the UK started licensing from us. One early one Lenny and I did was Subliminal Aura and uh, Critical Rhythm. Uh, one of those was on Fourth Floor, the other was on New Groove. And, you know, I'm look, I'm not getting a lot of notice from production I'm doing at the time. I'm just looked at as, you know, some new kid that's, you know, trying as best he could. And that's exactly what I was doing, just trying the best I could, you know, feeling now, around. Now realizing that you growing, a, a cult following was growing under you, not realizing it, though. Because there was no social media yet. There was, no, there wasn't. Doing record and, to record. If I remember how we spoke about it, you were like just making the next record. You were just making the next record. You were making the next. You weren't thinking about how great the record was doing. You were just on oh, to next record. I got it. Definitely. And that what you just said applied to the editing process, and then applied to the production process. So by the time I got into independent production, I mean just on my own, was nine about nineteen ninety nineteen ninety one. And I did a I did a tune uh, called "I Want You to Know" by Groove Committee, and that was the track that made the difference for me in my career, anyway, Len. Because you know I'd been doing it since I explained, you know, what eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety, and you know, not getting much notice for what I was doing. I was getting credited, but you know, it was just looked at as just you know, I didn't get notice for it, you know. But I got I got the credit. But like you said, it was creating sort of a following that I didn't know about, sort of slowly. At least you're getting your name out there. But with I Want You to Know, Groove Committee, I could see the difference. You know, people really started calling me and saying, you know, get me this record. I love it. And you know, I was getting calls from overseas. Who was and the guy that played that record that broke it for you? There's always one guy that you go, holy I, be- I Listen, I believe it was Larry, you know, because Judy was very tight with Larry and he was touring in Japan. And I ended up getting a recording of Larry. Uh, of, of him playing it and um you know actually he ended up i don't know if it's an edit but through i guess it's through judy because i didn't i didn't give it to him directly it's through judy i believe oh, yeah, she's very tight with him her, her, her and very, very tight very tight with him very tight and you know there's a version that we have of his too then 
And um, in a version, I didn't know that there is a version. Yes, I'll I give it to you. I will give it to you. Oh, I'll wow. give it to you. I'll give that it. On, on, on True House Stories, and when Larry Levan did an edit of, of an editor, <laughs> and that's something. That's something. But go ahead, Vic. Yeah, and I don't know all the details about it because, again, this is you know, Trudy had that contact. So remember, I'm you know, I'm young and upcoming, but um, anyway. It's that that version it, that wasn't released on the initial vinyl, right? When the vinyl came out, it came out as a twelve inch, and it was just one of the tunes on that EP. But a lot of people started calling, and Todd Todd was one that got in touch. Todd Terry. Now Todd was from the same area as I as I am from. He's from the same area in Brooklyn, and he got in touch and said, um, "You got something there." He gave me really good advice. He said, "You got something there." Um, a lot of people are feeling it. He said, go in and do it again. He said, do the same thing again. And I did exactly that. I did Dirty Games, and then I did Feel So Right. Ah, yeah. There we go. Right? There I we go. Boom. Those, those are one after another. Woo, talk about right? bullet after bullet. But that feels so right. Good Lord Almighty. Talk about killing us. No, thank you, brother. No, I appreciate that. Don't I? I've told you since day one when you did it. I remember I said, winner. Thank you. Thank you. But, you know, we have to remember, you know, you can't, you know, as well as I, you can't predict what's going to hit and what's going to, what's not. So having feedback and, and advice, it's just so helpful because as musicians, Len, uh, and producers, you know, as well as I, we can pretty much create anything in any style. But is that gonna is that gonna um, reach an audience? Yeah, we don't know. It's no. not gonna reach an audience exactly. So. You must have been lose gun shy too with that whole Lenny D thing and experimental stuff, because you're coming off the back of that, and then house music is just becoming, you know, with the major companies starting to get recognized. So you're kind of trying to. I remember from my own personal experience, you're trying to find where your steps are. Mm-hmm. You know, who's who's in your camp. I remember we had that conversation those days. Like, who's yeah. who's running the Victor flag? Like, who's playing those records? And you don't know until it just all of a sudden, like Todd said, it just pops. You know? Right. Then you, you find, go, okay, now I know where I'm going. Right? Whoa, right. You find your direction. The direction, exactly. You put it better than I could. It's what you just said, exactly. But we had that conversation almost 30 years ago, you and I, I remember. Because yeah. you were saying, What's your, what are you thinking? And I would say to you, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out where the hell I can make my next dollar. I remember <laughs> saying that to you. I love the music. Everybody knows I love the music. Everybody knows I live and love the music. But at the end of the day, we, you know, and him and I, Victor and I used to laugh about this all the time. We would say, Peter has to play Paul so Mary could keep going. We got to get money around here. Somebody's got to pay us. You know, he's laughing. He knows he knows exactly what I'm talking about. So, you know, you guys see us as, oh, wow, the records are coming in. And it's a, an, it's a euphoric feeling. Mm-hmm. But then the question is, is the record going to make the difference to be able to stay in our business and to keep it going? And these are the question marks we were all in those days saying, can we make this really work? Sure, and you, you, yeah, and you, you, you can't predict that. You look, you and I could make the best record in the world. Anybody, anybody could make the best record in the world. If it's not got the promotion and the, and the support behind it, where's it going to go? Man? And sadly, you know that's that fact is proven 
week after week, if we, if we, if we look on tracks, so how many great records there are out there, just as an example, that go unnoticed. There's some great music out there. Yeah, there's a lot of, 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 of nonsense out too, but it's always been that way. You got to go through a lot of the bad stuff to get to the good stuff. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is, for me personally, uh, I can't predict what's going to hit and what's going to and what's not. I just put my best effort into it, and um, with those records, I mean, with especially with I want you to know to kick it off. That really, I saw the difference because that got people calling me, and um, shortly after, I went I went to Japan. That was my first gig abroad. Very shortly after, do you you know Gomi? Of course, Kazuhiko Gomi saw. Yeah, that's right. Gomi, bring him up to the table. Gomi, come on in. <laughs> <laughs> well, with Satoshi, so Satoshi and I had been working together. So, um, in between Shakedown and and um, and and New Groove Fourth Floor, or around that time, simultaneously, Judy Weinstein, who had Def Mix. And she and David were partners in the company, you know, and they had they had that company together and they came and offered to manage Lenny and I as, as a production team. Actually, it was 23 West first who managed us and they were also managing uh, Cole and Clavillis. And first it was 23 West and that's actually how we got in touch with Martha. So we did a Right, right, right. Let me get to that. So we did a song with Martha Wash titled... Uh, Get your thing together, and um, we wrote that in ninth around 1989, and recorded it with Martha. But because Martha, I'm going to guess because I still don't know to this day the reasons, so I'm going to guess she had been going through uh, issues with uh, other records she had released at the time. Uh, I believe Black Box was one, um, and I believe. Uh, I'm gonna make you sweat in C music factory. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The, I don't know the details of those records, but she didn't want she didn't want the one that we did with her released. So we couldn't get it, we couldn't release it. But next plateau told us because it got to the test pressing point. Um, and up until that point, she was okay with it. But you know, something along the way, she didn't like the idea and total respect to her when that comes to as far in the artistry of the of the of the group, or was it under a pseudonym? It was uh, it was under a pseudonym. Um, it, it came out it came out as Urban Rhythm, but not with her voice. Eventually, only test pressings came out with her with her with her voice. Um, and she put a stop. She sent a cease and desist. But it was all over Tony's show at the time. And um, Ralphie D and Lenny D had actually uh, produced it, and then Lenny and I had written it. Um, and I believe all three of us mixed it. If I, it's going back a long time. But anyway, it ended up coming out with Roberta Gilliam. But Next Plateau, Eddie O'Loughlin had Next Plateau at the time. That's the label that released it. And he told us that was the biggest pre-orders they ever had for a record up until that point. So that's really saying a lot, you know, especially for us young, you know, we were young kids. And to have that happen on, you know, one of our first releases um, together, wow. you know, that's really, that's really impressive. But again, you know, no one called me directly for that. I was still sort of... Working, working my way up. Um, that ended up coming out as Roberta Gillian. And jump forward to just now, recently, we did a re-record with it with Ann Nesby over the last 10 years. And, you know, we've put that out recently. Um, that's up on track source. But just to show you the, the life of a and song. Wait a minute, hang on. And your yeah. person over here was the first guy that played it for them. 
Wow. I, I remember I played it for uh for Yes, yes. He bought it to Lanny, I got a special project for you. Please <laughs> play the records. He sent it to me. I knew right. the record. I remember Ralphie was involved, Ralphie Daggett. That's right. Ralphie D. And who the producer? Because he made a video too. Tell us who the producer on the new project was. Oh, you mean Raf did the mix? That's right. Raf, Raf and Soul. D, but Raf, Raf, yeah, Raf and Soul. That's right. Yeah, he did. That's right. And he videoed you. Yes. And he calls me up. He says, "I'm coming to the Birdcage at Lebane. Can you please?" I heard the record, and I played it right away. He did a great job with it, and I mean, the video you was awesome, then. So yeah, thank you. Oh yeah, I, listen. Good people deserve a you know good good promotion. So I was happy to do it. And it just it, sh- it just shows um, it uh-huh. shows what the life you know it's it's proof of what the life of a song can be. It's you know it doesn't necessarily have to be so short lived. You know, a song a good song could go on for years and years. I remember watching an interview with Barry White, and he said, "Why do so many people?" Um, so many generation after generation people like his music and songs. And he said, because it's, you know, it's, it's material people can relate to, you know, lyrically they can relate to it. And, um, you know, musically love is something everyone can relate to. So, you know, he said something along those lines and that's really, it makes a lot of sense. You know, when, yeah, when, when it's a good song, man, it could go on for years. So I'm sorry to jump ahead like that, but. No, it's okay. Yeah. What a great job. No, well, good. You helped keep me focused because it's just when we talk about this stuff, there's so many thoughts that run through oh, my yeah. mind. There's a thousand stories, but you got to give us the good ones for the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dirty ones, too. You know, don't forget. <laughs> so, so, okay. So you, you're starting to get you, you, you're getting your, let's say, your position right. Because mm-hmm. I remember when we were around each other, Felix Ortez illegal. You did the deal. What a crazy deal that was. You want him fighting with him. Oh, God, help us. People, let me just say this. You know, it's, this house story is so glamorous. There's also a very dark, shady side. <laughs> very dark and shady. And when you want to talk about learning how to become an attorney, learn how to become an accountant, <laughs> this is where it becomes very interesting because this is where he's going to tell you a little bit. He'll tell you his way, but to, to sum it up, you get problems with people when you have big records. And this is where Victor starts to step and say, I'm not a kid no more. Now I want to be seen, you know, because I'm doing what I'm doing. Go ahead, Victor. Sure, sure. No, good point. Yeah. Well, you start discovering different sides of the business. And, um, how how people can wrongly uh, interfere in different sides of the business uh, on your material. For example, for example, if we talk about publishing, and you and I have had that discussion, you know, many oh, times. How many times? Yeah. So and we come I mean, together. I think we have that conversation. I know. I know. I know. And Every you, you time. And you've made some, you know you've made some interesting decisions over the years in regards to your publishing, and you know I've made others, and you know I remember us comparing notes on it, you know, on various okay. occasions. Yeah. Oh, well. But what Larry, what Larry Yazgar said to me um, back when he had Vendetta, uh, I don't know if it was him or his attorneys. It was a friend of his who was an attorney. Um, you know, we're wearing different hats when we're doing when we're doing tunes. So, you know, we could be there's the artist, there's the songwriter, there's the composer. Um, there's the publisher, there's the producer, there's the remixer. So these are all different hats that we could wear. Those could all be different individuals. It could all be the same person. 
And, you know, there's business that go along with all of those hats. So I learned slowly, and I'm still learning, we're always learning, um, how the business works with each of those hats. And, um, you know, how to run that business. I mean, you know, it's music, business. Yeah, music is first, absolutely. But there's business that goes with it. So over the years, you know, I've, I've, I've um, you know, gained a lot of knowledge just through experience of, of how to deal with the different sides of the business. And, you know, people ask, well, you know, can you describe longevity and, and how, you, how you stay in it so long? Well, let's talk about right now. You know, look, the DJ thing is just dead. You know, we, there's no gigs. There's no gigs. I mean, that's not our fault. It's beyond our control. It has to do with the pandemic. But thankfully, thank God, I'm into different sides of the business, you know, and a lot, a lot, of, a lot of those sides involve royalties. And um, I've established a very large catalog of music then. And um, luckily, I've retained rights to the majority of it. So it's so sad to see artists and, and producers and writers, publishers that have lost their rights, you know, because that's the heart and soul. When we create, Len, you know better than I, it's a piece of us. It's almost, I, look, it may sound extreme, but I, I've compared it to a child. It's, it's a piece of us that we're leaving here. And for people to take a piece of that wrongly, it's just plain wrong. It, should, it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. You know, it's really upsetting to me to see that happen. So all and, the Chicago stories that we heard, and all the business that went on. Now, these people signed their records over for cars. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Sure. I know what you're talking about. And, and you know, the records are still being played in infamy. You know, you still hear these records being played on, you know, daytime rotation. And these people who wrote these songs have no way of gaining anything. It's really upsetting. You know, it's... It, it, I encourage any, any artist, producer, writer, publisher, composer to learn the business side of it, just so you can get your due if and when that comes from that particular tune. So everybody buy the book, the standard business book, learn the business, publishing, writing, copyright, understand, mm -hmm. understand what you're getting involved in before you sign anything. Buyer beware, seller beware. More of this in this business, seller beware because oh my god, you'll yeah. sell life away. Well, exactly. And you know, when we look at look, I don't want to, I don't want to just bunch all major labels into one category. So I'm not doing that. But I'm saying frequently, it'll from my experience, it'll happen that they're looking for people that are not interested in that side of it. They're just looking to get the notoriety or or, you know, the, the, the fame. The shine. The, the, yeah, the that's right. That's right. And, and that, spotlight for that moment. No, and I've never, ever, well, I take that back. When okay, I'm young, let's, you know, let me I've, stop you there. Yeah. What was the defining moment that you learned quickly, which you signed, you, you quickly, you learned quickly not to, you know, say to yourself, I'm not going down this road. What was, did something happen? Did somebody tell you something? What happened? It was a number of things happening. You know, um, through the licensing deals I would do, they all involved contracts. So I'd have to read through those contracts. I'd have to get a lawyer to, to help me understand it at first. 
And as I would do each deal, because I would bang out release after release after release after release. I'm still doing release after release. But back then, it was for different labels that weren't my own. They were from different. So, you know, through those experiences, I'd come across a good amount that weren't doing the right thing. And, you know, they wouldn't account or they'd, well, for me, perpetuity is a bad word. I, I will not sign a contract unless we're talking about some really serious detailed terms with the word perpetuity. So, you know, there's got to be a term on it, man. That's, I mean, first and foremost on, on licensing deals. You know, when it comes to perpetuity, I mean, if someone's giving you a contract that says perpetuity and I'm talking to artists and producers and, you know, writers, publishers, you know, you got to ask yourself a question. Are you ready to give that up for your life? Are, are, you really, are you willing to give up your property for life? Because that's what perpetuity means. You know, you're giving it up and, and even beyond your life, your lifetime. I mean, perpetuity, look it up in the dictionary. So, you know, I came to the point where um, I realized what certain words meaning in contracts and, 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 and learned how to amend them and get them to a fair point. So, um, I, you know, I wouldn't sign I'm anything. You're, a lawyer, you're like a consigliere in a sense. You're well, I hear you. I, I hear you. You became I, a lawyer force majeure, basically, too, because of the situation. Right. Right, because you're forced into it. It's not something I set out to do. And I'm sorry to sound so busy. you making music when you're doing all this legal. Where's your music time? Is that had had that slowed down or because you were worried about contracts? Well, again, you know, <laughs> this almost sounds schizophrenic, but you know, when you when what Larry said about putting on the different hats, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you put that hat on, that's what you're focusing on. So when I got the music hat on and in the studio, that's all I'm focused on. When I got, the, you know, I'm out spinning at the gigs, that's I got the DJ hat on, you know. Now, when I got the business hat on, you know, dealing with the contract, that's where I'm focused on. So I, that may sound a bit crazy, but when you're, when, when you're forced into that, when it's, it's the kind of thing where if you think about it, if I, look, the, the thought that runs through my mind, if I don't do this, I'm going to get ripped off. Okay. Yeah, that's the thought that will run through my mind because it's exactly what happened. Hang on, Victor. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. You're not 19 years old and you're not pressing to try to get in the business and try to get something going. Mm -hmm. You're also talking from a veterans level. Mm -hmm. How do you tell that young Victor, you know, that was at shakedown when he was calling and no was a yes, that that was going to be what he had to do? You understand? I do. And I have a son now. I mean, I have sons. I have three. Talk to, talk to us. If I was your son, so time pop. What do I do? Exactly. And I explain it all to him. In fact, he's already got his own label started. And I explain to him um, how he'll see. So good, good, very good question. That's a great question. So he'll he'll see. Look, it's trade-offs too. And I know, I know then you've gone for the other, the other side of the trade-off sometimes over the years. And I understand that. And I, I see the benefit you got from it. So I totally understand that point of view too. But you realize what you traded off and what you got from that and what you lost from that. We've talked about that too. And likewise, what did I gain from it? What did I lose from it? So going yeah, back everybody to- Everybody has to give to get. It goes both sides, no matter right. what. De definitely, definitely. But let's talk about, let's talk about, th th this, this just, um, 
before I got into the business, I would have never realized this. But sadly, this is often the case where the le- <laughs> when you're dealing with, especially with a major label, and again, I don't want to bunch them all into one category, but quite often with a major label, the more that you give up, the more promotion you're going to get out of that release. That's not always the case, but it is quite often the case. So in other words, if you're keeping more rights uh, than let's say they're used to or they're used to dealing with, perhaps you won't get as much promotion out of that release. In fact, you've heard of tax write-off projects, right? That majors that, that that's all I remember Anthony in the camp. Anthony oh. Lee, with his album got shelved for that exact reason. I remember yeah. it like it was yesterday. Yeah. So the point that I'm getting to is maybe I haven't had as much promotion as others over the years, but I've retained my rights. Now, maybe some other people have got massive promotion, but they've lost their rights. So you have to ask yourself what matters more. So yeah, it, maybe there is, look, maybe there is no right and wrong, and it's just personal preference. But I'm just speaking from my experience, Len. What happens with some people is, is that when you're in the major game, playing the major label stuff, and there's a lot of money on the table, yeah. you got to see what you got to deal with, you know, and what's going to work for you. I tell everybody it's per your, <laughs> it's per your situation. It's not for everybody. What you do, what he does, what I do has to work for what, in other words, the box we're in. Sure, sure. And I mean, I'm, I tell you, this is the best. Everybody say, Victor, you shouldn't do that. Victor, what are you doing? You know, it's like, and he's going, but now understanding he's got things in the background that he's got to work through. He's got to answer to. So some, sometimes you have to deal with the problems you're dealing with, whatever it may be at the time. Sure. And, and when, and it will come, and it will come to the issue now it's, it's the pandemic, how it shut all the gigs down. If I didn't get my hands into other sides of the business, I'd be bankrupt. Len. It'd be over. But it's thank it's thanks to retaining my rights. It's thanks to having a catalog. It's thanks to being able to remix, produce, write. It's thanks to be, having all those possibilities that you know keep you, well, and for myself in any way in this in this case, it keeps me moving forward and upward. Thank God, thank God. I just I'm thankful that you know I thought it out enough to get into different sides of it. And again. You know, that didn't always come by choice. It just came, it came because that, you know, that, that's what you, it's the, it's the, it's the only choice that you could make because you're, that's whatever your decision you have to make at the time, what you're dealing with, all that makes the difference. Yeah. And yeah. You know what? You also work like an animal to get that catalog. Oh. Oh, working. So, so yeah, let's let's go back. To, so let's go back to 91 when it was New Groove. And then, you know, right. So exactly. Let's work up to that. So, you know, I started releasing records. I mean, all the labels started calling me in New York. I had this is before Strictly Rhythm was created. This is before. So, I mean, you know, with New Groove, with Fourth Floor, with Criminal Minimal, which were, with those were authors. Then there was Emotive. Uh, there was Eight Ball. Uh, Maxi was another. And you know, Strictly came out around that time. And I did do one for Strictly, but I mean, I, I know Strictly is a very well-known one. So I just, I mentioned that these were before because there were so many independents in New York at the time. So many is ridiculous. It really was. It was out so of, oh, you would go from record label to record label. Yeah, that's what we would do. The same record. 
That's what we would do then. And then they and then I noticed they have contacts overseas. Now all of this is happening in licensing to licensing to different labels. And then started traveling. I started to go to England. I went to uh Italy. I went to Switzerland. Uh I went to Spain, Portugal, you know, and then started going back to Asia. I went back to Japan and eventually Hong Kong. But it just it look, it all went hand in hand. You know as well as I, releasing music, it gets gigs. You know. And getting gigs and playing out inspires you to make more music. So it goes hand in hand. And just playing out to the crowds. I mean, when I first got to England, I thought it was amazing. Just the, the response and the enthusiasm. Yeah, we have we have music lovers in the States. Absolutely. Um, in England, though, the appreciation and the knowledge and the detail, it's just, it's not something I had experienced before going there. I don't know if you know, could you, you could relate to what I'm saying. I'm sure I can. I can. I can remember exactly when we first all went. Yeah. It was they, they treated us like gods. And just the facts and detail they knew about the releases and, you know, your background. And that's, that goes back to what you said earlier about how you're sort of forming an audience without even knowing it. And, you know, you discover it when you get there. Right. You didn't know right? how it was until no. you got there. No. No, right. And so that eventually led to me, uh, well, you mentioned Tommy, and Tommy and I were working together. Well, he was already fourth floor back then, but then I remember um, he and Silvio uh, thinking about the possibility of a new label, and um, uh, and then that's it was a suburb, well, Suburban started around that time. You know, this was probably about 90, I don't know, three or so, about that, 92, 93. And Tommy, I worked, we worked together a lot as TMBS. And then eventually, um, gosh, yeah, I had, I had worked in Brooklyn at a gym before I started working at Shakedown when I was still going to school. And I met a guy named Vincent there who was just a member of the gym. And I just didn't think much of, much of him musically, but we, you know, we had some nice conversation. But he reached out then, what, several years later and asked if I wanted to start my own label. Now, I didn't know what, you know, really what he meant by that, but I met with him and we talked about it. And that's how Baseline started. So with Baseline Records, I had, uh, you remember Vinny? Vincent Domino, everybody. You remember him. You remember him. <laughs> I, was you remember. I can't believe, when you said Vince, I said, it's gotta be Vinny Domino. That's him. I remember. You remember. So we, uh, we started Baseline. It was Barry Colvin, Vincent and I, and Barry Colvin eventually worked at Tommy Boy. But, you know, they took care of the business side and I was just dealing with the music side of things and, you know, brought friends into it. You even had one release on there. Remember, Len? Yeah. The, uh, you know, the um, Hip Swinger. No, that was Big Big Tracks. Right. That's, oh my God, I forgot about that. That was Big Big Tracks, yeah. And then you and I actually did one together called Make It Happen, remember? Yeah, but that saw me for that. So we signed that to Cool Tempo. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. At Cool Tempo. You're right, Len. But we first did the Cool Tempo deal and then you asked me later, do you mind if I put it out? And I said, I can give you that accommodation. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I remember that. That was, that was a fun project. That was a great project. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's when I got a real inside uh, feel for, you know, because they'd involved me in, in the meetings. And so I got a feel for what it was to, you know, be part of having your own label. And they eventually moved on to doing other things. And then, you know, just long story short, I ended up um, taking over the labels and, I started other labels eventually, um, West Side. I became a label whore. Yeah, right. Just went crazy with labels. I, I remember you were out of control. And I was like, 
what label you have now? What number are we up to? It's like. So, yeah. So now I have, I have six labels. Now. I have Baseline, Big Big Tracks, Brooklyn Tracks, Stella, Westside, and Unknown. Now, hang and, on. With yeah. all that, you got other people you bring. Because Sylvia oh. and Greta used to say this to me. Who's Victor bringing in now? Right. Oh, really? Did he? He would say that, yeah? Yes, because it's Silvio, may he rest in peace, another one that was Tommy Musto's uh, partner in Northcott. He used to say, everybody I'm meeting, Victor Simonelli's bringing them in. Like, wow. with a hook. It was crazy. Like, you had everybody hooked. Well, we would, you know, we're just musically, you know, we're... Such It'll come so music for all the info, and you would help them out. Like you were like the godfather of the, of the no, house. Hey, listen, just through music, it just brings us to meet so many people. So yes, I mean, well, let's get uh, some of those people that you helped. Well, right. So I mean, well, first of all, I mean, down at the Winter Music Conference, I remember meeting Brian Tappert and uh, and Roy Grant, and we were at a banquet. We were at a banquet. That's when the Winter Music Conference had the banquet the last night. That's right. And this was before many Europeans were coming. You know, it was just on the on the cusp of that. Of of because before 1990, 1991 or so, uh, Winter Music Conference was pretty much New Yorkers and and local Floridians. That's right. You know, right? You remember that? Yep. I remember because so, I was there. Yep. And so I remember I remember the banquet and and Brian was playing and Roy was Brian was spinning. And Roy was playing keys. And, you know, it sounded great. It sounded great. You know, and I went up and, and I, I introduced myself and just complimented them. And uh, I asked them if they'd ever done any tunes. And they said they hadn't yet, but they were thinking about it and would like to. And we talked a bit more. I left them my number, my address, and, you know, went back to New York after the conference. A few weeks later, they sent the first demo. And it was awesome. It, was, it sounded great. It was called, uh, I believe it was called Freedom. And I was working steadily with Tommy at the time. And, you know, Tommy always said, any tunes you come across, you know, interested in releasing, just bring them over. So I did that. And uh, he ended up releasing Freedom. I, I think I got that right, that that was the first one. We could ask Brian and Roy if that was the first one, but I, I think that's the first one. And then they, it's not, it's number two, but number yeah, one. It's, it's yeah. in the beginning, in the beginning. In the beginning, yeah. And then they did Keep it's Giving Me Love. Them. You discovered these guys. Right. Well, 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 they were already spinning and playing. Keep well, up. you know what I mean. You know, in the sense, yeah. here's my number. You got something. Yeah. I, I, just just like, well, sort of like, just like Arthur was my, was my kind of foot in the door. I guess I was kind of their foot in the door, if you know what I mean. You know? And, um, yeah. So then they sent me Keep Giving Me Love. Then Tommy released that. And then they, re then by that, then, Shortly after that is when I started with Baseline. They sent Agitated. And this is the original Jazz and Groove. And then Brian brought his friend into it, Mark Pomeroy. Mark sent his tunes up, which would, uh, right, well, Agitated came out on Baseline. Then The Sun Will Shine came out on Baseline. And then um, they brought in their friend John Julius Knight. Actually, he was involved in Agitated as well. And uh, so, I mean, between Mark Pomeroy, Brian Tappert, Roy Grant, and John Julius Knight, you know, those were, those were four. Uh, that I, I was helping out at the time, and then, uh, the, well, you know, Brian and 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 Mark, you know, they went on to start track source. This is jumping ahead years later. Yeah, right. We know, we yeah, we know that now. I don't, I don't know people, weren't, they weren't even thinking about that. They were just about no, no. This is long before this is this is before Sulfuric was started. You know, this is their 
their first production. Then they were doing great productions. Yeah, and then were. I remember, and they really, they really were. And I remember meeting uh, Sandy Rivera here in Brooklyn, and he was doing some great productions. And I eventually asked him, you know, have you ever, you ever remixed something? He said, well, not yet. I'd like to. And I, you know, I gave him his first tune to remix too. It's, it's, you know, um, was uh, that was when I started West Side. Was dreaming ain't enough. See, I'm saying that's what Sylvia was right. You were the guy that you're hooking them in. You're bringing them all in one by one. I'm just trying to think about, you know, you get me, you get the wheels turning. And then in regards to artists, I mean, remember, um, Tommy and I, we did the first uh, Michelle Weeks credited record that was Don't Stop, but it was under a pseudonym, but she was a featured artist. And then I ended up doing the first Sabrina Pope. I did the first Sabrina Johnston Uh well, Angel. What about Angel? Right. God I'm waiting for you to get to that. We're gonna. I was waiting. Boy. Oh, I'm so, so sad. Where, this is where Angel Murray is. This is, of course, I knew Angel. I used to see him years prior with the Garage and all that. Angel was when he used to go to Paris Garage, but he wasn't making records yet. He was just hanging out. So, give us the hot and spicy moment. Well, right. Well, you know what? Look. All of it. You better give us somewhere where it comes. Angel, Angel's, Angel's really like it. But let's look. I have a video here of Angel talking in an interview. Why don't we just let him say it? All right. So you got to go to the share. Everybody, we're gonna we're gonna let Angel speak. He you know, did he, this with um, Michael Gentile at the Function House in Brooklyn. Nice guys. Um, you know what a beautiful person he is. Vic, do we have it right? I I don't see the screen. Uh, try it again. Try to yeah, get hold on, hold on. Angel, Angel, it's Angel's going to tell you how he came into Victor's life. Yeah. I said, no, I've said this over and over. One day, Angel came up to me and said to me, he bought this paper and I wish I had it. He says, yeah. I'm going to give you this. I looked at it and said, oh, and he drew me the, the Larry, uh, not Larry, the Paradise Garage logo with marker. Angel's very talented, even as an artist. Very talented, very. He, he says, I, I was thinking about you. I wanted to make, and I could hear him. I want you to have this. And I went, oh my God. And I used to have it up in my old DJ room and I moved and I can't find it. I'm so upset over it. But wow. try again sharing that. Yeah, that. I'm, I'm on my son's computer then. So let me get him to help. Okay? The, bring over a technical support. Emmanuel, come to your phone. Yeah, Emmanuel. Yeah, he'll help me out. Because I'm on his computer. So, Angel, of course, I'm at Kenny Carpenter's house. I'll give you a quick while he's looking for this. And he brings the first test pressings on Bergen Street. But but this is... Yes, it did. Okay. I've got to open the screen. Okay. I got it. I got it. Okay. So, here's Angel Moraes. What are you... Sorry. Okay. Got it. Okay. Thank you. So, here's Angel telling... Play it for us, uh, Emmanuel. Might as well. I'm, I'm that I had done till that point. Check it out. Were, were pretty popular in Portugal, you know. So that was that. So how'd you get into producing? Producing, I always wanted to produce, but I always was like, damn, I wonder how is that done? Do you listen to the music on headphones or do you listen to it live or whatever? And then I was playing for a house party for a friend of mine's. It was her birthday, and she was a garage head. And in her mind, the only per- person that can play those records like Larry was me. Imagine what a compliment. So she asked me, yo, would you play my birthday parties? Of course. So she rented this three story house um, in Carroll Gardens and, um, and I played the music and Victor Simonelli was, was, was one of the uh, people invited. So he comes to the DJ area and he introduces himself and he says, yo, you mind if I, uh, if I look through your music, I love the stuff you're playing. I'm like, no, no, sure. 
So he starts pulling out vinyl. So I'm thinking, well, I, maybe he wants to play, which is good. Give me a break. I'll go have a drink. <laughs> so he's like, yo, this is me, man. I did all this. Like, what? You're Victor Simonelli? <laughs> he's like, this, this tall, skinny, uh, under, unassuming Italian dude, you know, does make, made all this soulful music? I'm like, yo, man, I thought you were like a black Italian or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Victor loves it when I tell the story because it's just something I'm like, nah, man, there's no way. There's no way that, that because, you know, like Victor looks like, like if, like, like if Larry Bird was Italian, you know, <laughs> you know, he's like this tall, unassuming, it's true, it's true. And, and, and if he sees this, he'll be the first one dying laughing. Up. So, you know, it's like, yo, you did all these records, you know, because he, yo, he did some, Badass shit. He was, I mean, at, at that point, Victor had, as a producer, Victor had more popularity than most guys in New York. I mean, even most of the big guys. You know, I mean, he was right up there with Morales and Knuckles at the time. Only he was more, a little more underground. You know, I mean, he'd done some amazing work. So he asked me, yo, have you ever been to the studio? I'm like, no, to a, a studio. I was like, yo, why don't you come down to the, and I'm like, nah, Really? So yeah, he invited, and the studio was down here. It was um, it was just off of Ninth Street and uh, and and the um and the overpass. Guanas. Yeah, it was in Guanas. That's it. Um, so I went to the studio, and he said, "Yo, man, bug out," you know. So I'm like, "Yeah." So I got on the board, and it's just like, "What?" So a week later, I called the the owner of the studio. I said, "Yo, can I book some time?" And that was it. And I really didn't know what the fuck I was doing, but I, I figured, yo, I'll get it. Yeah, I'll get it. I'll, I'll get something out of here for sure. Yeah, and that was it. Wow. That's so, awesome. So you flew in for, what did you fly in for this time? Yeah. To, to be with you guys, man. <laughs> besides us. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, how we met, man. Well, the guys at Forward Disco, the video. back here, <laughs> Jillian and Sean, like, Jillian they, uh, they were gracious enough to invite me to play their party, which I've heard is a big party. Hector Romero, he plays it all the time with them. He's a big ambassador for that party. So I said, okay, got it, Len. So, yeah, I remember that, Victor, when you told me you went to go see him at that party and okay. you pulled the records out and he said, you ain't black? <laughs> <laughs> That, no, that's how. Then he, he look. He describes it better than I ever could. Uh, how we met, and you know what he said is how we got a feel in the studio uh, after calling him, and, and that's the truth. And you know, we continued to work together. Um, I just was thinking about all the tracks that we had done together just recently because it's passed on, and it's so sad. I mean, Angel's like a brother. It's just, it's just so shocking. Um, but we uh. That first one was, uh, you remember I Know a Place? I remember it very so much. It was, the, it, it was the B-side to I Know a Place. Um, it was called What I Need. That was his first time in the studio. And if you listen to that, you'll hear his touch. You know, you compare that, compare that to the other side, and you'll hear his touch, you know. And then he came in for Somebody Say Yeah, that was on Church of DJ and a Sampler on that EP. And then he came in for Ebony Soul, uh, I Can Hardly Wait. And on all of them, one thing about Angel is he's got such a distinctive sound, a unique own sound, his own sound, you know. And uh, what an awesome person, Len. You know, he's really missed. I, I, Don't forget I, I, he could cook like no other. 
He sure could. That brother. bad boy could cook like no other. He killed us with his cooking. But not, uh, not all the stuff he did, building stereo, oh, working wow. with Sound Factory. Oh, God. And he even made records that Junior Vasquez made into gigantic underground hits. And definitely. And that whole other sound that we weren't doing. You know? Oh, definitely, definitely. Did he? And did he ever tell you the story about? Because these new speakers he created before he passed on, he was so excited about them, and you know, he went on to say how it was a dream of his, or he he thought up the idea thirty some years ago, or however many years ago it was. Did he ever tell you the story how we would just go into the garage and lay in the speakers and just study them and look at them, just physically and uh, in every which way? In every which way. So, boy, he really got a grasp on those from the inside out. So, what a multi-talented person. He won't be forgotten. That's no. Cool. No way. No way. Well, let's go back to you, because we gave Andrew Angel that tribute, because it is a lot with you. So, here you are again, a, a, a starter to him, Brian Tappert. The list goes on. I mean, there's probably other people I can't even think of right now, but I know you had... And heavy hand. Yeah, yeah. They're just there's so there's so many that that. It's amazing, you know, but you think how much you mentored without even realizing. Well, you know, look, that's how I. So, and you, the key thing you said there is without even realizing because it just comes natural because that's the way that I came into it. So I was mentored. So naturally, I'm going to you know mentor, just as it's it's it just comes naturally because that's how I got into it. So. I'm doing it, like you said, without even realizing it. And, you know, I'm happy to do that. I mean, as a lover of music, being with others who love music and want to create it, and it's just, that's a joy. There's nothing like that, you know? And, you know, you and I met at the eight ball party, from what I remember. And, you know, I, Angel was there with us that night, too. Yeah, and, it was like all up with us. We were all hanging tight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Angel said, yo, yo, I want you to meet Lenny. I remember, and then Angel brought me over to you, and he, and that's how I remember meeting. Wow, Wait, where did you meet Angel? Yeah, I was. I knew Angel from. I think it was Kenny Carpenter. Okay. Okay. Angel was around. <laughs> Angel was around all of us somehow, some way. Yeah, he does a great. He did a great imitation of Kenny and Tom Moulton. <laughs> Angel did a great imitation of, of both Kenny and Tom. You know, and, and um. Yeah, I mean, moving ahead now, I, you know, I met Tom over the last what, 20 years, and what a great guy he is. Tom Moulton, yes, another big legend to our business. Just great, great person. Oh, legend, huh? They talk about a mentor. I mean, his skills are just, he has skills that no one else has, in my opinion. So let's go on now from there. So, you you know, you got, you, you're making big records. You got a great catalog going, and you're going, and you're going, and you're going. Yeah, well, right, building a catalog. Does it ever stop? Does every does that train come to a moment where you go, holy smoke? Well, to tell you the truth, Len, if we think about it, really, from 1991 until pretty much last year, that's almost thir that's almost a 30 year steady tour that we've been on, you know. Um, and it hasn't stopped. It's just been constant releasing, constant gigging over the last 30 years. Um, and again, learning all along the way, constantly learning, still learning. But with the pandemic, that just put a dead stop to, gig, to gigs. But, um, you know, going back to the time when, when we were talking about um, uh, Baseline and, and starting the label and then Westside. So that's, you know, that brings us up into the mid-90s. And that's when I moved to Italy. 
you know, because I was going to Europe every weekend. So, and if you remember, Len, before then, around that time, you and I were both spending so much time in London. Remember Maid of Ale? Oh, yeah, Maid of Ale. Me and me and him, we were sharing apartments. Like he had an apartment upstairs, I had one downstairs. Right. We were there all the time. Yeah, that was Gary Dillon released released the groove. Yep. And um, you know, we just I mean, I remember during that time getting real acquainted with London and you know, just spending a lot of time in Europe. So in 1995 or six, probably 95, I just ended up moving to Italy and traveling from there. So um, you know, I, I actually built the studio then in Italy. I bought the board from from Northcott. I bought the tape machine from Francois, which was the Atari. And I, I shipped them over to Italy and I built a studio out there in Rome. And from 96 or so until 2003, I had a studio there and was working from there and traveling from there. And yeah, I come back to New York often and States, you know, especially for gigs at the time when there was. But, you know, majority of the time was was being spent in Europe during those years. And I met my wife then, um, you know, my, my, I met my wife in Italy, great mm-hmm. wife, happily married. And, you know, I had kids at that time. And uh, let me think now, gosh, all during, through all of this, I'm establishing a catalog. Catalog's growing, 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 growing. So, um, yeah, I, by 2003, Len, I had a good, a good catalog. And what happens then? Vinyl starts to die. And internet starts to, you know, come out. Yep. Digital streaming begins. LimeWire. Uh, what was that? Napster. Oh, Napster, yeah, yeah. And I, and you know, I saw, I saw it coming. You know, I'm not technically, I'm not the best at things, but I saw it coming. And you know, I gave it a shot, trying to start a download site at the time. And um, you know, got my feet wet with it, got a feel for it, but it was just too much for me to handle. And uh, you know, TrackSource came out, Beatport came out. And, um, yeah, over those years from 2003 to 2010, just starting to move stuff online. And believe it or not, I'm still transferring stuff from dats and tapes. There's so much back catalog I still need to put up online. And during this pandemic, that's been good productive time to get into that back catalog. And look at everything and revisit. I did the same thing. I know you find you're finding stuff I that found a lot of gems. Awesome. A lot of awesome. stuff that got lost that I forgot about. I I still I went pulled them all back out. Re-released <laughs> old stuff that never was digitally available available anyway. And I bet I bet you'll have uh, some unreleased mixes too, right? Yeah. Oh my god, it's crazy. Because in those days, everybody, we used to do additional passes. Definitely. And Definitely. those passes never made the actual release. There's so many. You got like six or seven additional passes. You go, wait a minute. That's another great version. You know that, you know, you used Definitely. to the record label or you had a label and you'd have to do a 12 inch. You pick your best four mixes, basically. Absolutely. That's what you because, do. Because only so much could fit on a, on a 12. Start, right. 16 minutes. So you would you pick your two mixes for your front, two mixes for your B side. And, or, you know, or one in one, whatever, or, you know, however you want, been acapella, bonus beats and dub, main vocal mix, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, 12, yeah. 20 and knowing Victor, he probably, because he's, was oh. he's editing mentality, he right. did tons of passes. Right. Because I right. worked with him in the studio. Let's yes. run a pass like this. Yes. Let's run it. And I, and I would do that. And that came and I used to laugh about it. And we, and we go, that was from Arthur days. It he is. Have, he have his mindset that way. That's so true. There's so many things that I'll use from learn, use now, learn that will learn from Arthur. Um, 
It's the truth, Len. That just sticks with you. And in going through the stuff, I've just found so much unreleased. I found one that Angel and I did that was never released. See? There you go. You know, and, and look, I just guess one positive thing from the pandemic is it gives us time to focus on, you know, some of this stuff and, um, you know, getting get to get into that. Big time. You know? So, so again, you DJ'd, you, you're all over the place. You know, some of us would laugh. It sounds like this. Victor tonight's in Phoenix, tomorrow in Istanbul, and Monday he'll be back in Brooklyn all within three days. We would always joke because Victor would be everywhere. Just that's the way Victor is. His gigs were everywhere. He would make himself be there. No matter what it takes, he gets there. And then be back in a studio session. Just to crack Amazing. it all up. And by Tuesday, I'm back. <laughs> back and ready to go. You're like, all right, let's do it. And he wouldn't miss a beat. He'd do it. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully we get back to some gigs, but um, soon, you know? I mean, but, you know, it's better safe than Did you get the vaccine yet? Because you're over 65. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not there yet. Not getting there, but not there yet. Everybody's 66 this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so but you know, better safe than sorry, Len. With this, I mean, you know what? They're gonna have that thing in the passport. You know that in the phone. They're gonna be looking for inoculation. You know that when we go on traveling. My wife was saying that they're she gonna be. Saying, saying, we want to see, like, use the joke. Want to see your papers? No, they want to see inoculation. Your musician, you know, paper. Yeah, yeah. I, I, only time will tell, man. It's, it's amazing how quick stuff changes. So we're gonna find out. But look, I've been working on some. I've been working on a lot of newer stuff, Len. So, I mean. Yeah, some recent remix I'm working on. One for Paul Simpson. I'm working for one for I'm working on one for Robert Owens, and that's uh, Joe Ventura's label. I'm not sure if you know him, but yeah, really glad to be working on that. And then Glenn Toby did some with Rance Allen. God rest his soul, Rance Allen. Oh but it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's his last. It's as far as I know, it's his last uh, recorded tune that he did with Glenn Toby. So working on that remix and productions. I'm working on something with Lee John. You interviewed him. Um, Jesus, John's another giant. Absolutely, oh yeah. My God. Sweetheart and giant in our, in our business. Yeah, and I'm working on something with you know more with Tony Lee. You know, I have that Tony Lee and Status Four out now, but now I'm working on something to, directly with Tony Lee. Good. Yeah, and then Nesby, and yeah, again back to the digging. So digging through tapes, I, Lenny D and I worked on something with the Tramps um, when we were first starting. When we were first starting, Len, and we found that tape and transferred it. You know, I got in touch with Earl, and you know, Earl's up for it. And um, what is just, that? What record was this you worked on? No, it's unreleased. Unreleased material. Saying, would you guys write it, Jimmy Ellis? Um, so, so no, no. There are, there are other writers. We're involved in the production. Okay. We're involved in the production, and and Tom's Tom's going to do a mix. So Tom Moulton's currently working on a mix. So I'm really looking forward to getting that done. I can't wait for you to hear it because it's. I um, can't wait either. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And we had to go dig through. Lenny had it in a, in a storage unit, and we had to dig way in the back of the storage unit and said, oh, wow, there it is. You know? Do you remember so, you had that, or was it you went? It's, you know when something's in the back of your mind that, you know, when you're first starting, especially when I was working at Shakedown, it, you know, some of it's just a blur because there's so much that was coming at once. So I do remember the sessions. And, you know, I remember Lamb Chop coming in. He was the keyboard player. 
And I remember him banging that keyboard so hard that it was, it was just shaking the whole keyboard. But he was, wow, he was getting down on that, on the clavinet. And it was shaking it so heavily. I vividly remember that. So, yeah, when I saw the tape, those, those thoughts, they came, they came back. Wow. Um, and Earl Young playing uh, his drums on it? Well, uh, was it keyboard drum? I mean, yeah, uh, the, 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 when we recorded that, the, it was drum machine times. But with that said, now that we found it, you know, the, the possibilities are endless there because, you know, thank you know, we're all still living. So, you know, and Earl sounds up for it too. So, and, you know, Tom's involved. So, you know, yes, yes, let's get Earl on that. <laughs> it's his band right right of course Jimmy Ellis singing from the lead singer from the no show. no so you know when I look when I met back then when I uh, met Earl and he brought uh when he brought some of the members into the studio he he introduced the singer as this is the new member of the tramps and his name was Antoine is Antoine he's still living and he was a young guy um and you know, at that particular time, uh, Jimmy and Earl weren't working together any longer. Uh, yeah, of course. You know? um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to you hearing. I'm looking forward to you hearing it. I mean, the I'm song is that project. That's good. Yeah, so, what label, which labels are, are of your of your your uh, labels? Which one is the one that's going to release it when it's? We'll released? see. Well, that, that that's still decision well, making. Yeah, yeah. Let let us get it done first, and then. And then, you know, we'll determine that from there. Um, and another thing that's coming up is, you know, this friend in, in England, his name's Alex from Behind the Groove. He, we did an interview, just an audio interview about a few months ago. And the idea came up to do a compilation from it. So he's, you know, he's helped me put together a compilation and calling it Victor Simonelli Early Years, where he's taking, he's picking the, he's picking the track. So, and it'll just be a vinyl release. Nice. And, yeah, nice. Right. He wants to time it with vinyl, uh, with uh, Record Store Day. So I'm into that. I mean, look, it's, it's, it's definitely good to be keeping busy with releases and, you know, making music and, and keeping busy making music is great. You know that. Oh, yeah. Are you working on some new stuff too? Yes, I am. Hmm. Yes, I am. I'm trying to get a record for Deborah Cox done. We'll see what oh, I'm wow. working on. Corelli. I'm sending him some demos right now. We'll see, we'll see everybody. You know, I got, I, I'm working on actually Babu and Quanti signed a Michael Proctor find of vocal wow. 25 years ago he did i'm remixing wow. something for them awesome and, and you know we just got the current power record label and we're just doing what we do you that's know? great i'm looking forward to hearing them then yeah, yeah michael <laughs> and michael you know michael <laughs> no michael was another one with deliver me remember we put that out on baseline that was your record deliver me well it's i mean it's it's jazz and oh, Google, so you deliver yeah, me. But, yeah we put it out for him on baseline back then you know see what i'm well, saying everybody I mention the name and what happens? This says we released that first. Deliver me, unbelievable. But you know, all that just comes from, like you said, from authors working at authors and watching him be open to new talent and you know welcoming new talent in. There's so much new talent out there, Len. And in regards to look, that one that Arthur and I did back in '90 called uh, "Why Can't We See." Would you believe we have 100 and about 130 mixes on it from then until now? And I just put that up on track source. You know, and actually Armand and Chris Lake, they did their own version too. They retitled it The Answer. But um, the point I'm trying to make is 
it's amazing how how far a tune can go with you know different versions, different mixes. You can't predict that. I mean, yeah. Really something. Your music is gonna outlive all of us, brother. That's the key. It's a legacy. Your children have that music, that music will be played forever and ever. Well, you're very kind, brother. Now here's the thing. Question now. Yeah. Did you ever think the young Vic would be saying this today that that music you made back then would be living out? Yeah, well, well, let me bring him in. Say hello. Let me bring him in. <laughs> Emmanuel. Yeah, come, yeah, here. come here. Bring him in. Yeah, let me bring him in. Let, me, let him say hello. He's got his own label called Good Groove now. So this is my son, uh, Emmanuel. Say hello. Lot of hey, how are you? Good, thank you, man. How are you? I hear now you're running the record label of your own. Yep, good groove. <laughs> so tell us about what the story is behind the label. What is it only you producing or you are you licensing records from other people? Are you doing cooperations? What, what's going on? Currently, there's only one uh, record where I did a cooperation, but um, it's it's nothing really too big right now. And uh, I'm mostly working just on my own right now. Yeah, but tell I, me how many releases you put out. Right now, I have about, uh, I believe, nine releases. One is a album, a techno album. Another one is um, uh, there's a couple tech house EPs, and then there's some acid house. Yeah, I like those. Yeah. I do like those the most. Yep. Yeah, you, you know, we'll keep them busy. Let me ask you something. When Dad says to you, I'm feeling that record, is his ears as an A&R man still good? What do you think? I think so. <laughs> is he right? Does he give you yeah, the yeah. information? He is. Because when he does... Uh, Go ahead. When he gives me that advice and then I play it out in... Uh, or whenever he plays it out or I play it out, you just see it in the crowd. People love it. And here's the other question. Sometimes our parents would tell us information, be like, I don't want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> right? I don't really want to yeah. hear that. Or the ego. Makes yeah. Sure. Oh, wow. <laughs> As I can tell you from my own experience. Uh, yeah. Can oh, you true. admit? That what he it's true. It's true. Oh, I'm not going to lie. Forget about it. When we try to sit down. When we try to sit down to do something together, forget it. I'll get nervous. Ah! But <laughs> Dad, Dad, you got to go. Dad, that's the old way. That's yeah. the old way. You know what? The young people, I always say, bring a new, fresh approach. But sometimes some of the old ways still work as well. Yeah, sure. sure. Very, very, very true. Yeah, one thing I find I've been helping them with on some of the stuff is the arrangements. Okay. You know, the arrangements. Yeah, arrangements. Yeah, yeah. How an arrangement works, how a record is laid out, right? Sure. Definitely. Definitely. And he made, a, he made a good point a minute ago about playing out. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, Len, but I, I do remember how playing out your own productions and testing them really makes a difference to the production. Um, and the first time I experienced that, you know, the first time I had experienced doing that, and even hearing other DJs play it and then, you know, tweaking it from there. I just think that's essential to a good production. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So, so, I mean, what do you, on, on that, on that subject. The nervousness, the nervousness of, of, 
are they going to dance to it? In your mind, you're thinking this. You even though everybody's smiling, they have their drinks pre-pandemic, of course. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's excited and listening. Thank you, Emmanuel. You're the best. And no we, problem. Thank you. And what? And and tell everybody the name of the label again. Good Groove. It's on Track Source, Beatport, and uh, you can find it on Facebook and Instagram. Support him. Give it Thank up. You. Support Thank him. you. Thank you. Thank you, brother. You know that feeling well as I do is that when a DJ plays your product or you're not even, you're there and not even realizing a records of yours gets played and then to get thrown off balance for a minute just to watch a packed room, is it make them stop dancing? Right. So important, man. How does it sit with the other record before? Wow. Right? Definitely, Len. Definitely. It's so, so important. I mean, and... You, you said it yourself a minute ago. You said pre-pandemic. So what are your thoughts on during the pandemic? Because we're not able to test the stuff out. Yeah, we could get it to a you know. Everything that we had in our minds doesn't apply right now. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't use any of our, our pre-pandemic applications. Right. So uh, until things come back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm finding that. I'm, I'm, I'm finding that. Um, you know, some of the recent productions that I've done and finished without playing out, I'm finding that getting that feedback from other DJs has been helpful. Sure. You know, and getting honest feedback. I, I appreciate hearing, no, man, that's not sounding right. That, you know, this is wrong or this is wrong. Then, then, then hearing, oh, yeah, that sounds great if it's not sincere. You know what I mean? How good is it going to be if nobody plays the record if there's something wrong with it? Right. I, what the hell is that for your ego? I mean, it, well, we, everyone's telling you it's great, but yet nobody's playing it. No, no, Does no. it make you go, wait a second, I got to visit this again and figure out why? Constructive criticism, man, is so important. So, so important. Oh, my God. You really, you, you gave us so much information. You're incredible. <laughs> the Minelli, the Italian stallion, lived in Italy, did the European thing. Lived in Utah. Yeah, that was Even wore a cowboy hat. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Came back, put on his decks, and went out dancing again. <laughs> Came back to New York anytime he could to learn what he needed to learn, to make those cassettes to hold him to his next trip back, because I remember he used to do that. He used to I, do yeah. a lot of recording. I still have all the cassettes, Len. Yeah, I still, you, you still have yours? Yeah, I still got mine. <laughs> I still got mine. I actually pulled the cassette machines back out and I've been digitizing all that stuff. Wow. Been digitizing. But it's so nice that, you know, your son followed you and you got the other boys too. Oh, yeah. The other boys are great. So my, my second son, Antonino, he's really great with computers. And uh, Christopher, um, well, he's still really young, but, you know, he's into skateboarding. And, but well, time will tell what, what, he, what he does. You know, I mean, you have you have a child too. Oh, so you know this, you know. one big question. Yeah, and this is, I mean, because Marshall and Byron had me hysterical laughing mm-hmm. when I went to see the, one of the A and R people, and they got such a bad review on their product. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a product you brought up to somebody <laughs> that you worked on, and they gave they handed you your behind back to you and told you it was garbage or whatever, and <laughs> They were totally wrong. Definitely. I mean, more than once. So let me just share one experience with you. The most fun one. Go ahead. 
So I, I brought it up to them, and uh, yeah, they were really negative about it, saying, "No, nah, I'm not feeling this at all. Just you know, bring me something else when you got it. This is not going to work." And this, that, and the other, just total negative response. Well, you know, you just take it. Okay, well, thanks for listening. So I took it to another label, and you know, eventually got it signed, released on another label. The next started to get play. You remember John Robinson, right? Yeah, WLS, John, John Robinson, Bobby Condes. Bobby Condes, that's another. So thinking about people that helped out. So mm-hmm. I taught Bobby Condes how to edit and, you know, got him um, started in that regard with editing. And you know, but anyway, that's a whole other story. But the point I'd want to make is uh, we became close friends and he started playing the tune, John Robinson playing it, Tony playing it. That person that gave me all those negative comments hey. called me back after they heard it on their shows, right? And what can you you know what they said? Why didn't you bring that record to us? We would have loved to put that out. <laughs> what changed from the time I brought it to their office to the time it got played on their shows? You know? They wait. I caught them many times, some of the AR people where I said, I brought you that record. <laughs> and they go to my face. We were all together. And they said, I don't remember hearing it. I said, how funny that was, because I was in the room, such and such was in the room, and you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just... do not remember telling me it was garbage. Oh, wait. The best line was, you got something else. You got something else, right. I mean, I think... Right, right, right. It's, it, it, it's a shame that they put so much weight on uh, who's playing it. And, you know. And that little thing called the radio. Yeah. Isn't that something? That if little thing called the radio. If you're going to be an A&R person, come on now, be qualified. You know, you know it doesn't, you know, you're the one that wants to get it there. It just, I just felt like a lot of the A&R guys wanted to just jump on a bandwagon and not, and not, not work, work. Work for it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not, not work for it. And you just, yeah, you brought up another thought, you know, but we didn't speak about Claudio Cocoluto. Well, you can tell us about Claudio. Yeah, it's just so sad that he passed on too this week. I mean, it's some week, Len. And uh, yeah, another a long-time friend. Um, wow. Yeah, I remember when he first came to New York, Len, Tino Padovano brought him. And, uh, you know, he had his, his first tune started, which was called Angels of Love. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I remember it. Remember? Yeah. So what happened was, is that uh, Tino was tight with uh, Claudia at Maxi at the time. And, you know, he brought it up there. And um, we ended up going in the studio. It was Tino and I think Ralphie and Tommy, myself. And, of, yeah, well, Claudia it was Claudio's project. But we all worked on it together and it ended up coming out on uh, on Maxi. And, you know, th- then the tunes he did after that, you know, and just his DJ career, just, it's so sad. As a person, he was a great person too, family guy, and it's sad, very sad. God rest his soul. But he won't be forgotten. No. no. And his son, like your son, is also in the business now and DJing and everything. So the legacy will live on. His son yeah. keep the legacy going. Yeah. But I see how it. it's all intertwined, this house music thing? Somehow or another, we all wind up working together. 
some yeah. crazy way or somehow we gigs yeah uh productions maybe a remix a lot of things happened those days it was it was it was the synergy in the air things we would meet at parties next thing you knew we were all in studios together it was crazy it's amazing and 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 on that note len what about just going to places where you've never been before meeting the person after about five minutes you feel like you've known each other for years just because the music the music connection it's sort of like a, a, a family, a musical family across the world, and you're meeting relatives you've never met before. Mm. You know, that's what it really feels like. I mean, to me, anyway. You're right. Right. It's really that. It really is the universal language, man. And I tell you, I wouldn't have all the great friends if it wasn't for this music. Wow. Seriously, how many people wouldn't we knew we met around the world because of our traveling? Oh man, it's absolutely amazing. And, and through all this, let's just help each other and and encourage one another. And you know, just 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 being locked down alone, you know, that that can if if you don't have your mindset right, and you know, you're not look just supporting one another is so helpful. You know, during these times, it can be easy to fall into depression if you're not staying active and 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 just keeping your mind right. Yeah, prayer helps me, brother. You know. I'm God. Constant prayer. It really is helpful. Don't forget, everybody, he's read that Bible from cover to cover many times. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Cover to cover. It's, uh, you know, thank God for everything. That's the yeah. truth. Yeah. yeah, thank God. And you know what? We shall get through this and we shall come back, everybody. And on that note, Victor, I'm going to say to you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. A great story. My God. No, you. I mean, it's great talking with you. You always, you always know how to get the uh, the stories flowing. You know, and I like hearing your stories too. Yeah. I thank wish you. mine were made up. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes say I wish mine were made up because some of those stories they suck when you're living them, but they make great stories. I always say, "I'm the Forrest Gump. I was around it. I remember seeing it. I went, oh God, help me." Yeah. But. It's part of our business and our heritage. Yeah. And Paul Simpson, if I remember correctly, said it wasn't the business that we picked. It was the business that picked us. And it's so true mm. how we all found this business. We wanted it so bad. And boy, when we found out later, what it was like, it was like, it's not the business we thought it was going to ever be. Remember, we, you and I would always speak. We were like, hey, nothing like what we thought we dreamed of. But. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so look, some of it is you, you take the goods with the bads. I mean, and I always try to stay positive through it all. You know, look, you got to, uh, you got to deal with negative sometimes. So it's just a fact of life. Hey, you got what you. Yeah. Say again. I was gonna say what doesn't kill you, kill you, makes you a lot stronger and smarter. Sure. Sure. Definitely, I agree with that. Yep. Oh man, Victor will. Thank you, Victor Simonelli, coming from Brooklyn, New York. Thank you. We'd love to Be see you in our studio here with Tony Lee someday or one of the big artists, you know, and rocking the console. Like Absolutely. you do. We'd love to see you on that note. Yeah, I love those monitors you got. Yeah, those are just like every New York studio had the big double 15 Tad drivers, the Ausbergers. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Coming live with real and this studio is real. It's not a green screen. It is real, everybody. The studio is real. So thank you, Victor, again. We can't 
we are so grateful to your story. And next week we have one of the new school, Birdie. Birdie will be coming on to tell us his story. Come and check it out. Victor, do you have anything last words? You Just thank you. Know, thank you so much. Should he be eating more time, food, anything we need to know? <laughs> well, I mean, all joking aside, eating healthy is so important, man. You know, that's for sure. You know, yeah. you see what's happened to our friends, man. I mean, good Lord. Yeah, but no, it's a pleasure talking to you. I just, and I'm sorry to, you know, sound a bit, you know, sad about things, but, you know, it's just, it's a lot to deal with right now. And I'm, I'm just so sorry we lost these friends recently. So, yeah. I know. I know. We'll get through it, brother. You know, yeah, been through hard times, but nothing like this. 